Sarah Maldoror's 1972 film, Zombie Zaga, is just a stunning bit of work. And in, for reasons I honestly don't quite understand, uh, it doesn't really receive the critical attention that I think it deserves. I find it strange that it doesn't receive the critical attention it deserves, precisely because it's a film about all kinds of things that uh, critical theory and critical cinema studies, uh, black studies, uh, spend a lot of time with, which is um, revolutionary or anti-colonial politics, uh, state formation, the political imagination, and uh, the role of gender in everyday life in revolutionary practice and vision. I think there are probably a lot of reasons for why it's so underappreciated and understudied. Part of it is just simply circulation. It, it was difficult to come by until very recently when it was restored and republished uh, under the, the uh, World Cinema Project, uh, underwritten by Martin Scorsese which hopefully through Criterion will get uh, the film a lot more airtime, a lot more uh, critical attention. I think it deserves critical attention because just even the, the director herself tells such an interesting story. Uh, a descendant of, of West Indian, uh, Francophone West Indian parents living in France, having a deep commitment to both uh, feminist and Pan-African politics, making a film about revolutionary struggle in Angola, a Lusophone country, so not even part of the Francophone world, uh, and making that film three years before Angola, or, or not even making the film, but, but, but coming out with the film, uh, three years before Angola was actually in became independent of Portugal. It just is a remarkable story all by itself. If the film is successful, and I think it is pretty indisputably a successful film, I don't, I don't think it's a film that warrants much in the way of, of dismissive criticism. One, one cannot like it or like it, and you know, in every degree in between. But as a film, it holds together aesthetically, it holds together politically, and tells a straightforward and contained story. So really, um, there is nothing about the film that shouldn't warrant our attention. And if it is successful in all of these ways, it says something, I think, about the commitment to Pan-African and feminist politics. It's a Pan-African film in that I think, as we had discussed in my class on the film uh, in some detail, uh, that the film touches on themes that resonate across the black diaspora around uh, the police, around family, around revolutionary consciousness, among a sort of um, uh, sort of natural communism. I, I'm not a huge fan of the word natural, but sort of natural communism of the poor, right? The sense of, of belonging and community and the kind of generosity and sharing that comes from communities, even communities, and especially perhaps communities that are so beleaguered by white people, by Europeans, Portuguese in the sense of Angola, in the, the context of Angola and Sambizanga, but also across the diaspora as one of the sort of um, uh, shared sense of solidarity, right? The solidarity of struggle against white oppression. 
So in that sense, I think it captures something of, of a Pan-African sensibility, right? A commonly held experience, but also I think embraces what that ex shared experience might open up for creative artists. That is the ability to imagine through study, of course, and through conversation, but to imagine as a director and filmmaker what the, what the uh, anti-colonial Angolan struggle is like, and therefore to be competent as Maduro absolutely is, competent enough to, um, to make this kind of film and to make it responsibly. <clears throat> Her feminist commitments are part of also why I think the film is so underappreciated and, and understudied, which is that it is fundamentally a film about women, in particular about Maria, who's wife of, of, of Domingue, uh, her husband who is a construction worker, but also working class revolutionary and part of, of this local movement in the slums outside of Luanda. Um, and he's jailed and then eventually beaten and killed by the police. But the film is mostly about her looking for him and her mourning him. Right, even that her even her uh, looking for him is is in a state of mourning. She does it alone, but at key moments, um, she does it with other women, right, who are there as um, fellow women in distress, but also women to mourn with her. And that communal sense of mourning is, as we discussed in, in, in our class, the way that the natural communism of the poor that Maldoror is interested in documenting, something again that that uh, also links with uh, Usman Samban's uh, Mandabi, which is also about the natural communism of the poor in Senegal, um, that that's not simply about sharing food and sharing uh, water and sharing housing and shelter, but also the emotional communism of the shared sense of mourning. This is most really most emphatically um, in around the 120, hour 27, hour 28 mark, where Maria uh, exits the prison, having found out that Domingue was, was, was killed by the police, and the way women mourn with her, the way they take her child from her so that the child can be comforted, and then take her into a room where they mourn together, where they sing uh, together to... Uh, comfort Maria, but really just to affirm and embody sadness. We also see that communal sense of mourning when uh, Domingue is beaten to death and his body is returned to the prison cell that he shares with a number of other men. And the men um, lean up against each other. They lay together uh, and sing uh, about their fallen comrade. Um, and they mourn his death through song but they also mourn his death through their own physical proximity to one another, that they press their bodies to each other, a sense of physical intimacy that models at the physical level the emotional communism of mourning in this moment. This is really interesting to me because uh, just as the film is largely about women, when it does turn in this scene where Domingue is mourned by his fellow prisoners, um, it's not a masculinity that I think we would recognize from tropes about patriarchy and tropes about um, about a kind of detached masculinity. That is, they don't mourn simply by saying, well, he acted out of a sense of duty or a sense of loyalty, right? His, his death is not mourned and sublimated through a discourse uh, about virtues. 
Rather, they sit with their sadness and they sit together embodied. And, and that way, uh, as I asked my, my class and I would ask anybody who watches the film and thinks about it, how often do we actually see men in physical contact with each other, right? Hands and bodies pressed against one another in a way that is not sexual. Right? And even uh, sexual, that's very rare. But it's not in violence or sexuality. It's in a collective sense of mourning. Very beautiful scene. I find it incredibly moving and revolutionary in its own right, where Maldoror is really trying to say something different about the possibilities of revolutionary men and their bodies in relation to one another. Something that absolutely mimics or parallels uh, the embodied experience of Maria with other women as uh, she goes on her journey searching for uh, Domingue, but also then discovering him uh, dead in the prison. I paired the film, and this is worth saying as well, with, uh, not paired it, but uh, followed, uh, the film followed our discussion of uh Cyanfield's Zulu and uh, Ponte Corvo's uh, Battle of Algiers. Zulu for me was this really important contrast in terms of the conditions of mourning, where mourning was really uh, articulated in Zulu clearly through British virtues of duty, a sense of duty, a sense of bravery, and that is then, um, I mean, it's shown in the dialogue, it's shown in through the uprightness with which the soldiers die and are willing to die, but also at the end where the, the narrator lists the medals that were given to each of the soldiers, uh, uh, you know, highest honors from the British government. And so that sense of duty, right, as a way of mourning of, of you know, they filled their duty, fulfilled their duty, and that made their death meaningful. Is this really important contrast to a natural communism of mourning uh, in Sambizanga? And in terms of Battle of Algiers, I thought that was an important pairing just historically because, of course, um, Maldoror was assistant director for Battle of Algiers, uh, you know, as, as she was sort of learning the craft of filmmaking. As a side note, it is really interesting to me that she and Samban actually overlapped at film school in Moscow um, in the Soviet Union. So there's an interesting, when Mandabi and Sambizanga share this sense of uh, natural communism. I think it's not unrelated to the ideological dimensions of that cinema, cinema training in the Soviet Union. But her work with Ponte Corvo is, for me, really interesting because it serves both as, as, a, as a comparison and a contrast. A comparison would be Ponte Corvo, of course, as a European, is, is not Algerian, but makes a film I think quite responsibly about the Algerian independence struggle through sort of ideological uh, formation of his own conscience and, and his own sense of the camera and storytelling. And I think there is a parallel there where there's something about the ideological uh, foundations of Maldoror's own belief system, or her own orientation as a, as a creative that makes it possible for her to make a film about Angola without being either Angolan or even African or even Western African. <clears throat> so that's interesting to me. But what is very different about the two films is part of what Pontecorvo wants to do in, uh, in Battle of Algiers is really use black and white, it's a black and white film, but use black and white and therefore light 
to to minimize the impact of the visuals right he's of course fascinated with these amazing faces among the actors and actresses that he that he puts on camera but outside of the very interesting faces of, of the major characters it is visually quite sparse and in fact none of the landscapes and none of the shots of people are particularly committed to a sense of beauty and i say that it's not committed to a sense of beauty because um that sense of, of beauty is so overwhelming in Sambizanga, right? Very much like Mandabi again, uh, Madoror is, is committed from the beginning to showing how um, the poor African is not an abject category. It is politically abject and politically revolutionary, but it is not aesthetically abject. It is not morally abject. That is, being poor doesn't make you ugly, dirty, and criminal. What we see instead in Sambizanga is this uh, initially this very intimate portrait of the of the of the, fa uh, the, the um, father, mother, and child. It's one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever witnessed in film. And as, as I had said in class, it's so intimate that I almost felt like we shouldn't be watching it where they lay together with the baby and the baby's fussy and is crying and they're both trying to comfort it. And the way they exchange where, um, where Domingo is, is, is rubbing the baby's head and sort of bouncing it and the baby's fussing, he gets a little frustrated. And Maria says, no, keep doing that, continue, continue. And she smiles at him really adoringly, like loving seeing her husband and the father of her child comfort the child. Right, but also loving this intimacy where the child is laying between them. And then um, it cuts to another, um, you know, it's, it switches scenes to um, time in the scene to where she's breastfeeding the baby. And he lays there beside her with his hand on the baby. And this sense of the continuity of their bodies is also like, again, this communism of, communism of intimacy, that the body becomes a communal space that is shared by everybody in this moment of, 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 of intimacy. And in that way, uh, you know, from the beginning, we see a real difference with Battle of Algiers, where you have, you know, a distressed mother in Battle of Algiers, which I think is one of the most compelling and important shots, where the mother walks away with a tear, with tears on streaming on her face, because she doesn't know what happened to her son. Deeply um, a part of the conscience of the film, uh, deeply moving and really artistically uh, shot and, and, and edited scene. But it's not beautiful. It is abject and, and the morality and the, the politics that flow from that scene in Battle of Algiers comes from that sense of abjection, that this is a mother we don't want to look at. But looking at the mother and the father and the child at the very beginning of Sambizanga is the opposite. Any part of us that doesn't want to look away, that wants to look away, wants to look away because it's too intimate, because it's too beautiful, because it is in that sense too real. It really is like a family lying in bed, comforting a child and smiling at one another and the bonds that all of that makes. Other senses of beauty, which is uh, you know, which are clear from the film, um, the way all of the women in the film, uh, whether they're they're in the working uh, the workers' village, 
you know, the housing that uh, construction workers live in. It's a sort of row of you know, two rows and a dirt road between them set up for clearly by the, the factory owner, <coughs> um, construction company owner uh, for the workers. Uh, the, all the women walking around, you know, beautifully shot in color, very lush, very rich. Um, and even the women in the most abject moments of standing outside the prison where they've come to visit their husbands who or, or family members who are in the prison, um, and they say goodbye to the men and they stand out in the courtyard in front of the prison. And uh, Maldoror, just her shots of those women are just so gorgeous. And, you know, all of the different dresses and, and, and head wraps and scarves and jewelry and faces and hair and smiles across ages, across sizes across um, kinds of people, right, that you really intuitively see. There are multiple kinds of people here, and they're all shot in this incredible beauty. But I think really the most compelling beauty is the scene. Um, it's a long scene starting around 32 minutes, 45 seconds into the film, where, um, and so, Maria is walking to, to down this road to find her husband is, gorgeous song is playing. It's an operatic voice singing about um, about walking through a garden of trees and flowers. And um, so the song is beautiful. The lyrics are about beauty. And these scenes where she is walking to do this, you know, trying to find the prison where her husband is being held. But that everything about the landscape is beautiful. Everything about Maria and her dress and the baby on her back, everything about this is gorgeous and beautiful and compelling to look at and moving and important. And I, I think that Maldoror's attention to this is how the film is so powerful as a document of everydayness. It's a document about the everydayness of Angolan lives that if this revolutionary movement is going to be successful and it is going to actually address the people, Maldoror is like, we need to make a film about the people because it's about how the people live. But it's also about this moment of anti-colonial struggle that wants to resist the idea that the colonized are sad and abject. There's joy in this. There's the pleasure of mourning together, the, 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 the sentimental sensuality of like families and bodies together, whether they're mourning or comforting a child or walking together or the children playing, right? All of these ways that bodies move in the film, move on the screen that are saturated with such beauty and so intentionally so. It's not my judgment. That's the entire aim of the shots. That's the entire aim of sequences, entire aim of color and light. And so in documenting that sense of the everyday beauty of, of, uh, of the colonized, right, of Angolans in the late 1960s and early 1970s, you get this sense of how anti-colonial struggle is not just a story about militants and ideology. You get a little bit of that, right? I think that she wants to be responsible to the movement and say there are real ideological underpinnings here and it's important for us to see those and hear those, but they are just read to us. Basically, the two short scenes, one at the very beginning, one around the middle, 
where the ideology of revolution is laid out, right? There's the rich. The rich are only rich because there are the poor. If there are no rich, there is no poor. And we suffer from poverty because the Portuguese or the whites, as they say in the film, because the whites want to be rich. So we need to drive the whites out and abolish wealth, right? Abolish richness. And so that you will have no poor, you'll have no poverty. And so that, you know, ideology is very clear, but it's also not the point of the film. The point of the film is that anti-colonial bodies mourn, they love, they wander, they search, and they move in the, the through in and through the world. This is especially important when we see how information flows in the film. So much of the information is just random people, you know, the woman washing clothes and, you know, a revolutionary comes and sees her and says something to her. She says something to him. Information is exchanged and it flows among factions, um, you know, uh, complementary factions in the revolutionary movement. So even those everyday beauties are also the everyday ways that revolution is made through the flow of information. And we don't see, as we do in Battle of Algiers, the accumulation of guns, the setting of bombs, the killing of the colonizer. Rather, that's set aside. In some ways, I think Maldoror is saying, you can go see that in Battle of Algiers if you want. That's not my film. My film is this other thing. <clears throat> also, and this is where I think I'll, I'll, I'll leave this, <coughs> is... There's something really interesting to me about the relationship between aesthetics and politics. I think that there's a very standard thing in revolutionary art and filmmaking, and even revolutionary music, right? I guess music's under the category art. But in revolutionary, um, in revolutionary movements, I think there is a real sense that you can't have... Um, that you that you that, that you can't have beauty but that politics needs to the sobriety of politics needs to take center stage and if the sobriety of politics takes center stage then beauty or the aesthetic dimension ends up being a distraction from the kind of politics we could have i like that maldoror refuses that that she's going to make the politics in the aesthetic because the colonized, and this is where I'll leave it, the colonized aren't just colonized, they're also human beings. And they're human beings who experience joy, pleasure, love, sadness, and mourning. They are bodies that move in the world, that move through landscapes worth preserving and honoring and, and bearing witness to. And they're also bodies that, 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 bond themselves to other bodies in ways that make community in mourning and in family and in friendship. And so that needs an aesthetic dimension to understand how at the everyday level, revolutionary consciousness is transforming not just the ideology of the people, the ideology of the state and the, and, and the decolonization of Angola, but also that, that revolutionary consciousness is informing our own relationship to the natural world and our relationship to that part of us that is in the natural world, our bodies, the way we move, the way we decorate ourselves, and the way we are present to one another. <laughs>